Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Volt here, and joining me today is Joanna Penn, aka JF Penn. Uh, Joanna is a is New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of thrillers and of nonfiction. She's a professional speaker and an, an award-winning entrepreneur. Her site, thecreativepen.com, is regularly voted one of the top 10 sites for writers. Um, on the fiction side of things, like I mentioned, she writes as JF Penn, and her books weave together ancient artifacts, relics of power, international locations, and adventure at the edges of faith. Uh, Joanna lives in Bath, England, and enjoys a nice G&T. Uh, and I, I'm just so excited to, to bring her in, uh, A, because she's one of my favorite people uh, ever. <laughs> she's hilarious. She's fun. Uh, and, and B, because she's been on both sides of things, right? She's got nonfiction and fiction experience, so there's a lot of fun conversations that we can have there, um, and especially just the fact that she knows this fiction stuff uh, so well, which is just not my wheelhouse. And so I'm excited to, to have her just go deep uh, on the fiction side of things. So Joanna, great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chandler. It's really good to talk to you. Now, obviously, if people want to hear kind of more of your backstory, how you got started, uh, all those things, they can check out our last interview. I want to skip that and get straight into the good stuff. So to, to start things off, explain to people a little bit, maybe who don't know, maybe they haven't written their first book, or maybe they're just not familiar with, with writing fiction. What are some of the major differences between writing fiction and writing nonfiction? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it, what's so amazing when you start writing um, fiction is that you realize there's a whole load of skills that you need that you've never needed before. Um, and also the assumption is that because you can read a book, that you can write a book. And actually, there's a whole load of lessons that you have to do. So some very specific differences between fiction and nonfiction. One is point of view. So point of view is something you don't normally do as a nonfiction writer because your your point of view is is you. So your the book you wrote with your brother, which I've read, you know, your point of view was yours and his was his. But when you're writing fiction, you can choose to write from like a first person point of view, or you can write from a third person point of view, which is how I write. Um, and so that's a really big deal. So that's one big difference. A second big difference that a lot of writers struggle with is dialogue. So dialogue is something again as a non-fiction writer, you don't do, right? I mean, maybe again, you might have a little quote now and then, but dialogue in fiction is a skill unto itself. So th these are two really big things. And then the, probably the third thing and probably the overarching thing, because there's so many things, is um, story structure. And again, this is something that if you've read thousands of books, um, it, it is kind of embedded, but that's where you need a lot more learning and that's where the craft comes in because there are so many different things within a story that are important for making the reader feel satisfied and that's the type of stuff you have to learn so a lot of this stuff you will um sort of get by osmosis when you read in the genre that you want to write but you also have to hone your craft in some of these more specific skills 
Got it. Got it. And I'm excited to dive into kind of what some of those specific skills are here, here in just a bit. But I want you to take us through the process of writing your first fiction book. Okay. So think back to that. What was the process like? Was there a process? Uh, how did it look? And then what were some, some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from that first book? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I did blog the whole journey. So um, people can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel. And I actually, uh, and this is one of the reasons I love blogging. Now, blogging as a fiction author is certainly not necessary and you don't have to do that. But I love the journey because um, it's so funny looking back at the videos. I do, I way back then, you know, um, I, I used a little iPod shuffle or something to do my videos and they're terrible. But it doesn't matter because I, I'm finding out things. So, um, for example, discovering genre, discovering that I love to write, you know, sort of supernatural thrillers. Oh, sorry, I love to read supernatural thrillers. So that's what I'm going to write. And this, so this is the very first thing for writing your first novel is you've got to have an idea that will sustain you through the tough times because it's it's often not like writing nonfiction. Um, because it does take a bit longer, especially if you're writing a longer book, especially if you have all this stuff to learn. So my first novel took me 14 months. Um, and for some people, it might take five years or 10 years or whatever. I know some people can do it quicker. But that first novel, you need an idea that you're so excited about that it will carry you um, through the tough times. So once you've got that idea, and for me, that first novel, I, it was so funny, because if you can see behind me, I have a lot of journals. Um, I write, I've been writing journals since I was about 15 and I actually found a journal from around 2001. Now I, I started writing my first novel in 2011. So this was 10 years later and I found the seed of the, the idea for that first novel 10 years before. So this is my big thing for writing fiction. You have to put all this stuff in your head so that it can come out in your story. And uh, that first book for me, which is Stone of Fire, um, is about the, uh, the the bones of the apostles and uh, a, a, a secret power handed down. It's very conspiracy theory, Dan Brown-esque. And that's the type of thing I like to read. So the idea I think of as you taking in from the environment. So a lot of that first book was based on my own travels in Jerusalem and, you know, Egypt and all these different places and America, and then putting those into the framework of a story. But so that's probably the very first thing is you need an idea that's big enough to carry you through the process. And then obviously the characters and the plot and all of that different stuff too. That's, that's great. Now, how do you personally know if, well, I guess there's maybe a two-part question. A, if, if this is my first book, like how do I find that idea? Uh, and then B, how do I know that it's an idea that's going to sustain me, right? What, what's the, what does that look like for you? How do you know if it's like, okay, I don't know, I have like five of them. Is this the one that I'm going to be able to take to the finish line? This is a tough one. And I think um, this comes in two flavors again. When I first started writing fiction, I, well, before I started writing fiction, I never believed I could write fiction. I didn't believe I was creative enough to invent whole worlds. But what happens with uh, creativity as the kind of creativity muscle. Um, and we all have this, it's any skill, any skill you start to use, you actually develop more like a, like a muscle in the gym, you know, you can lift heavy weights next time. So as soon as I started 
thinking, what am I curious about? And this is probably the biggest tip. What are you really curious about? And that is the thing that will keep leading you down a rabbit hole. Now, the knowing whether it's big enough for a novel versus a short story or a novella. So I've written short stories and a novella, which is around 20 to 40,000 words. And then a novel is pretty much 50,000 to 120,000. Um, you know because you've got more than just a little thing. So um, a short story would just be a vignette about a specific one specific character, usually in one specific setting, whereas a novel will be multiple characters, usually in multiple settings, potentially. Um, and for me, it was very much, and I know this isn't a marketing uh, talk, but um, one very important thing for selling fiction is building an audience over time and writing a series is the very best way to do this. So when I wrote my first novel, I knew I wanted to write a series type book. So each, I have a secret agency, the arcane agency, and then within each book they investigate a separate mystery so it's like a you know a tv show like castle where they have um a story arc that goes on over the season but each episode has a different mystery so that's kind of how my books are so you have to think when you're deciding what you, which idea to follow first of all do you have enough ideas if you don't have enough ideas then spend time in research and this is one of my favorite things so i travel a lot uh, i've just got back from spain and granada and actually my first trip to granada sparked um, my book gates of hell which uh, came out a while back but is it came from that travel that i did sort of 10 years ago so travel, read other books. So at the moment, I'm reading a whole load of books on um, the end of days. So um, ancient Babylon, and because I'm writing a kind of apocalyptic book, um, you know, put all this stuff in your head so that it can come out again. That will also help with writer's block. So essentially, always remember, follow your curiosity and trust it as well. So another example is that I often say to people, um, do you like graveyards? So uh, if you go to, say, Paris, do you choose to go to Père Lachaise, which is one of the best graveyards in the world? Or, you know, um, yeah, anyway. And if people go, yes, I love graveyards, then I say, well, you'll probably like my book. And I never used to say that or admit that in public because, you know, I'm a nice, nice, jolly girl. You know, why would I like graveyards? Oh, actually, um, I'll show you because this is uh, a video because uh, it's quite cool. One of my, uh, can you see that? That's my, mm -hmm. my sugar skull that's on my desk. And um, so I like kind of death art. <laughs> And what I find is that people who like similar things to you will be more likely to be interested in your fiction. So um, I, you know, I just trust that now. I trust that by sharing the things I'm interested in and writing about those things, there will be an audience for my type of books. Love that. Now, uh, back a little bit to to kind of uh, well, okay. Now that you've gotten the idea, now that you, you you're curious, you're exploring other things. You kind of you, you get where you're a sense of where you're going with this first fiction book. What would be your recommendations from things that you learned from your fifth, first fiction book in terms of the toughest times, the biggest mistakes, and and really how to get through that process? Because you said for you it was 14 months, which obviously mm. it's not all peaches and cream for for 14 months, there's going to be some tough times. So what would be your advice for people to get through those tough times and get that first rough draft finished? 
Yeah, so um, I wrote that first draft on Microsoft Word because no one had told me about Scrivener. So that would be my number one because that was the only book I wrote on Microsoft Word. So the reason why Scrivener software, I'm sure you'll include the links, um, is so good is because often with fiction, you don't write in order. Often with nonfiction as well, you don't write in order. But what Scrivener allows you to do is just to write in scenes. And a scene is a, you know, a specific character in a specific location achieving something or a change in something um, and that if you write those scenes within Scrivener it just really helps you with uh, with organizing everything now some people are pantsers as in they just write by the seat of their pants other people are plotters I'm a kind of bit of both so um, what I what I learned at that point was I just need to get my ideas down now if you're super organized you might write an outline and the book I recommend um, to everyone is the story grid by Sean Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E. Um, um, lots of people recommend that nowadays. Very, very good book. Um, so once you've kind of thought about your structure a little bit, now all I do, just to make people feel a bit better if they're not feeling hyper-organized, I tend to know the opening scene, which for a thriller is generally quite explosive or exciting, um, or, you know, it, it depends on your genre but I tend to know the opening. I'll, I'll tend to know the first couple of chapters and then I generally know the ending. Uh, although sometimes I don't, um, uh, I just see what happens. Um, and then I know a couple of things in the middle. So I just put those into Scrivener. So maybe I've only got six or seven different one liners. And then the thing is to either flesh that out with more scenes based on your structure or to just start writing. So my next big learning is timed writing sessions. And this is true whether it's fiction or nonfiction. But I think the um, the the truth uh, that the wonderful Anne Lamott uh, taught us all in Bird by Bird, which is, and this is a quote, I hope the language is okay, write shitty first drafts, um, that with fiction, it will be really bad, <laughs> really, really bad because you, especially if you're a big reader and most, you know, fiction writers are big readers, it just doesn't come out the way you want it to. And that's why it took me 14 months. Um, and it's still some of my more, um, you know, bigger books take longer. Um, but you have to learn all these skills. So I tried to write what I thought was in my head and went, this is terrible. I can't write dialogue at all. I don't even know. So I went and took a class on dialogue. Um, or, you know, I just, this character is terrible. You know, this antagonist is awful. There's, there's um, you know, how can I fix that? So to go and learn those things. So that would be another thing is time. So timed writing is the only way to get stuff down and really to allow yourself to write crap. And then the third thing is that I hired a ton of editors. So most people think they maybe only need, especially for, for nonfiction, often you can get away with just a proofreader. But with fiction, you, your first book, it's a kind of awful thing, but your first book will be the most expensive because you have the most to learn. So I recommend a structural edit, which will help you with story structure. And that'll be things like this story arc doesn't work. You know, what happened to that character? You know, all your dialogue sounds the same. Uh, you know, your tenses are wrong. Your point of view is wrong. You know, all these things, uh, your clauses are repetitive and sound the same. Uh, you know, all these things you learn from an edit. And that to me is the best use of money is paying an editor to critique your work, not sitting in classes, reading someone else's work it's pay to get your own critique. So I had 
two structural edits in the end. So I had one, went away, fixed it, then um, got another one, fixed that. I had two uh, line edits in the end, and then I had proofreaders. So I've never had as much editing for one book as that first book, but I learned how to write, basically. Mm, so you're basically just paying for an education by paying yes. for all that editing. Definitely. That's great. So what, uh, do you use fiction specific editors or what's the process for that? Yeah. So, um, very important to get an editor who likes your genre. So for example, um, I started, and, and also I would say that editors are a bit like, um, dating in that you're unlikely to find your perfect match on the first date. And also that potentially as you change over time, your editor will change too, as you become a different writer. So I'm on probably my third or fourth, um, line editor now and my now editor loves thrillers she likes dark stuff and you know she'll write cool when i kill someone in a really good way whereas i actually had one editor resign because she just didn't like any form of violence at all so she i'm but i'm using her for a friend of mine who's writing uh, a sweet romance which is a, a romance with no sex no violence no nothing so and of course an erotica um, you know, writer would want someone who likes erotica versus a Christian editor, for example. So it's re it's very important that your editor understands the tropes of your genre and um, can spot the the ups and downs. You know, my editor's great. She'll say, look, I think you just need an extra scene here because it would echo the movement in that earlier scene. So someone to help you plot out that um, the, the journey of the story and the story arc. So yeah, definitely look for a fiction editor who loves your genre and edits your genre and who won't change your voice will fix you and make you better but will not change your voice that's really important and very difficult for new writers um and in fact let me talk about that a bit more because um the word voice when it comes to fiction writing everyone's like i want to find my voice um i would say it takes about five books it did for me um, you will be very sort of full of uh, self-doubt. I mean, we all are still, but that first book is a nightmare. You don't really know what you're doing. I rewrote my first novel about three years ago. I didn't completely rewrite it, but I, you know, gave it a good edit. Um, as we get better writers, that's completely fine and a benefit of self-publishing. But your author voice kind of comes out when you stop self-censoring when you write what you really think as opposed to thinking oh my mom's gonna read this <laughs> you know that type of thing so um an editor will help you with voice and won't crush it by saying you shouldn't say that things like that that's fantastic advice now while we're on the subject of editing real quick do you use beta readers and if so or, or even if not, how do you deal with conflicting uh, feedback and advice, either from editors uh, or from beta readers? Okay, so um, I I only use beta readers, um, or I say beta readers, um, as experts. So, for example, I have a, a book called Risen Gods, which is set in New Zealand, and it's about the kind of, again, an apocalyptic, um, the demons are rising in New Zealand, and it's got volcanic eruptions, and it's, and it's based, and one of the protagonists is a Maori um, male character. So I had two beta readers. One was a volcanologist to critique my volcano skills, and the other one is a, a Maori guy who basically, um, you know, 
discussed whether or not I was being culturally insensitive um, and also my use of um, language and the mythology of Maori because obviously I'm not Maori and then uh, another book of mine Destroyer of Worlds is set in India and I had uh, two Indian readers read that and they told me things like oh you you can't get that type of taxi on that street corner in Mumbai um, you know you have to get this type of taxi so if you change that it will make it really real so that's how I use beta readers and so there isn't any conflicts because I don't they are only there to critique the part of the story that they are an expert on um, uh, I prefer to pay experts for their opinion I think one of the biggest mistakes of early writers um, and I, this may be an unpopular thing but I don't believe in writers groups as a place for critique I think there's too much insecurity. There's no real knowledge of how to write a book. <laughs> it's better to pay somebody to critique your work than it is to workshop it around a group. Um, sure, use writers groups as a place for solidarity and support, but don't let those people read your work. <laughs> um, just pay an yes. editor, basically. Yes. Gosh, I agree with that so much because it's, I feel like so many times people are getting critiques from others who aren't their target audience. So exactly. it's not your target audience. That critique is worthless. Like that mm -hmm. would be as if I had my grandma read my first book, which is about productivity hacks for entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, it's she'd like, be like, what, what are you doing? And, and, and that's really important um, because, for example, uh, well, a lot of your audience who are here are interested in making a living or making money um, with writing. And I can tell you now that if you go to a writer's group full of literary fiction authors or people who want to win the Booker Prize or a Pulitzer Prize, that is not the place to be workshopping your romance or your horror or your thriller or your sci-fi um you know that's just the wrong audience and you'll get comments that will ruin ruin um your genre fiction so um that is super important i think and, and it's very very hard because the lack of self-confidence is so high but um what i'd say is now we're online you can network with groups of authors online um who write in your genre so that would be a big recommendation all right. Well, now, do you, so it sounds like you just keep from getting conflicting feedback by just pay, paying editors and, and just paying experts. Yeah. Are there any times in the process where maybe you have a couple editors that are saying different things, or maybe the editor says something that you don't agree mm -hmm. with, or even in between here, you're conflicting yourself. Like, I don't know whether or not I should do that. Oh, yeah. Um, but conflict is the basis of fiction. So, um, you know, that's allowed. Um, certainly with an editor, the thing to remember is you're paying an editor. You you still choose to make the changes. So I never just like accept all and then use that manuscript. I go through every single change that they specify and I change it per, ma manually into Scrivener so that then I learn because I, you know, we all have writer's ticks. Um, so I use an ing clause, you know, ing um, with a comma clause too much. And I use, you know, overuse of specific words. And unless I actually manually go through every single change, um, I won't learn. So I'm always wanting to learn. And in fact, I'm kind of at the point now with um, the number of books I've written that 
what my editor comes back with is normally much bigger than just individual line stuff. The line stuff's pretty clean now. It's like, um, you know, she says this character should probably do this or this isn't strong enough. This is a bad, this, this just didn't make sense. Um, so when it comes to accepting what an editor says, I, I would err on the side of 90% <laughs> because that's what they're there for. And if you've got a good match, then great. If Oh, another thing I'd say on edits, especially at the beginning and on that first novel link that I mentioned, um, I've got a whole blog post on how it feels to get the edits on your first novel because it's brutal. It's brutal. And what I'd say to people is when you get that email back with those attachments that say, you know, with track changes and comments, don't look at it immediately. Okay. Just have the email arrive. Know it's there. Don't read it late at night. Don't read it if you're emotional in any way or if your kids are screaming behind you or whatever. Give yourself time to read it. Then when you've read it, do not make any changes because you will probably be angry. You'll be upset. You'll be devastated. You then need to wait another however long it takes, maybe another couple of days before you go back to your manuscript and then you start to be able to see with a different eye. So that's really important. I still struggle with this. I think we all do, um, especially if you get something back and like my editor's gone, this character really should be more like this or something. And you're like, oh my goodness, I have to change about six different chapters. I have to rewrite this whole thing. And I am so sick of this book because that's the other thing. You get really sick of editing over and over again um so yeah anyway so those are some some tips for for getting edits back hey chandler bolt here i hope you're loving this episode so far it's time to go from inspiration to implementation all right so if you've learned something we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book so what i want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. So let's zoom out from the editing and kind of talk about a little bit more on the writing side. So in terms of plotting and preparation, uh, how much of it uh, do you do and what are your strategies strategies there for for plotting and preparing before you start writing? So it's much easier in a series for a start because if you have a design, so as I said, I've got my arcane secret agency. I have my two main characters, Morgan and Jake, and every time the book's going to open, there's going to be some awful global catastrophe and they are going to uh, go and kill the bad guys and save the world type of thing. You know, this is a thriller. This is what thrillers are. Um, if it is a romance, you know, obviously two characters are going to meet, hate each other, and then eventually end up together with an HEA, which I learned recently, the happily ever after. Um, <laughs> guaranteed HEA as a romance trope. Um, so these are the things you need to learn. So if you're going to write, once you understand the genre you're going to write in, you can think about the different things you need in the book. So then what I tend to do is um, I tend to come up with a title. I'm a bit obsessed with titles. So um, Destroyer of Worlds, which is this book I wrote about India. I, again, when I traveled to India, like uh, 10 or eight years ago, something, I saw this statue in the museum and uh, Shiva Nataraja, known as Destroyer of Worlds. Now, Destroyer of Worlds is an awesome title. So 
I had that idea in my head. I was like, I want to write about India because I want to do tax deductible travel. <laughs> so um, what can I do to destroy the world using Hindu mythology? And then the idea of the Shiva Nataraja. So literally all I had was this title, End of Days, uh, sorry, Destroyer of Worlds, and um, the statue of Shiva Nataraja. And then what I do, so I just create and um, open a new Scrivener document then I just start brainstorming things. So for example, Hindu mythology, I don't know anything about Shiva Nataraja. What does that even mean? Um, Destroyer of Worlds uh, was also used by Oppenheimer. Um, you know, I am become death, Destroyer of Worlds. What does this have to do with nuclear technology? Um, that sounds interesting. So all I do is I write down a whole load of stuff. Then you go into the internet. <laughs> so obviously you can read books. So I said at the moment, I'm reading books on Babylon, ancient Babylon. And that's a whole load of stuff come, you know, I'm highlighting on my Kindle. And then I just create, you know, probably 10,000, 15,000 words worth of questions and notes. And I often print those out. So I'll write all these notes, do all this research. I'll probably spend a month doing that um, just because that's a bit I love. I'm total research obsessed. And then I'll print it out and I'll just be writing things. And then from there, that's when I'll create the um the main scenes on Scrivener. So you need, you obviously need characters. So if you're starting from scratch, your cat, you have to do your casting, your characters, setting, setting to me is very, very important. Um, so for example, Gates of Hell, which is, you know, set in Spain, opens in Barcelona, Granada, Israel, um, you know, has these big scene, scenic things in very filmic. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then the plot, obviously something has to happen. So <laughs> these are the things to work out. So, and then I tend to start writing. So I think, the research process will differ per person. So if you're writing, say, a psychological thriller about a woman trapped in a room as a room by um, Emma Donoghue, that might not need so much research. Or maybe you look at Stockholm Syndrome and that type of thing. Whereas the stuff I do, which is kind of much bigger, broader, global, I like to do a lot of research. So I spend time on YouTube. I watch documentaries. Um, I uh, read books, as I say. I might interview some people. Uh, but I, I have a Pinterest board per book. Um, so pinterest.com forward slash JF pen. Um, you'll see each of my books. Um, so for one book, for example, I was obsessed with tattoos and I just got really into tattooing and my London psychic trilogy is really set in the kind of world of body modification and tattoos. And that was just really cool research. Um, that you can find by literally just going down rabbit holes and, trying to put a new spin on old ideas. So now I'm really challenged because um, end of days uh, is something that obviously immediately in people's heads, there's a whole load of ideas and I need to be original. So I'm thinking of other ideas. So this is the thing. You can start with a title. You can start with a character. You can start with a place. You can start with a plot. Um, any of these can be the beginning and then you have to research. Got it. Now, a couple follow-up questions on the research side of things. How do you know how how much research is enough? Like, when is it time to stop the madness uh, and get into <laughs> writing? Second question would be, where do you keep that research that makes it handy for the writing process? And then the third, this is like a three for one, is is how do you best utilize that research to, how do you make sure that you best utilize all that research that you have in the book? Oh, okay. So uh, I keep it all in Scrivener. 
So Scrivener has two sections, a writing section and then a research section. So I just put it all in there, just have a load of, I just dump it all in. Um, how do you know when it's enough? Um, you have to set deadlines. So this is, we talked a bit about timed writing earlier. When I started writing that first book, I was determined to have a book in my hand by my birthday the year following the writing. So, um, and I missed that by a month. Now, if you decide a future date, so let's say a year, you can definitely get, and I had a full-time job at the time. This was not when I was writing full-time. Um, so if you set that and you say, okay, to do that, I want to write my first draft in six months, and then I'll spend the following six months editing, work out how many hours a day you have to write to get that draft done. Um, and that, so in terms of how long before you stop researching, you basically have to look at your schedule and go, okay, well, if, if I spend too long researching, I'm going to end up with two weeks to write a whole book and that's not going to happen. So I would say you need to enough that you're like, wow, yeah, that's cool. And then you can start writing and then you will research what I do. I research more as I start to write. Um, so for example, I knew I wanted with the New Zealand book, I, I wanted to write about Maori mythology um, and specific volcanoes and places in New Zealand. But when I started and I lived there, so I know a lot about it, but we found this really cool demon that ended up being one of the most important characters in the book, which I didn't know about. And we only found it because we started researching and reading books about mythology. So get do enough research that you can start but or you will end up doing more later anyway to make things richer um and then the third what's the third bit yeah it was it was how do you best utilize that research oh, or how do yeah. you make in the book yeah yeah so um when you've got you know say i've got 30 pages printed out here with the scribbles all over it what i'll do is use that then to um do my structure but what i'll also do is trust that what i what you know say i, I watched a whole series called ganges for the india book it was like six hours of tv about india um i didn't go back and check anything on there i just kind of let it go in my brain and this is one of the interesting things about writing fiction that's very different to non-fiction I think it uses a different part of your brain so with non-fiction you actually have to be quite analytical and organized and structured and you've got you know this that you need to communicate to people you know like this summit is very organized um, whereas I find writing from that fiction part of your brain you can stick like stuff that's come out from 10 years ago or 20 years ago just arrives on the page and you're like whoa I don't even know where that came from but actually you put that stuff in at some point um that's why I really believe in filling the creative well as Julia Cameron says um that type of thing but it's uh it's a another uh, I should just say my process has changed is in that I now dictate um, my books based on a uh, you know RSI and health and also speed and voice and um, trying to be unconscious about it it actually helps to kind of just release things to talk about it so I think any trick I also listen to um, rain and thunderstorms over and over again when I write so I think my brain goes into a sort of whatever state theta state or something um, that uh, enables me to shut down that uh, criticism and just get it out there and then you can edit it later love it now you, you've talked a couple times about the time writing um and well i guess just to just to quickly i really like the point about having uh knowing when to end your research based on time not mm. based on volume of research i think that's a really good distinction but you talked on that subject of time on time writing 
What does that look like for you, the timed writing piece? And do you have a daily word count? Is there a word count per timed writing that you're doing? Like, is there any structure to that? Or are you using that separate part of the brain like you're talking about where you just need to let it loose and not cage it in? No, see, so you definitely need structure in order to let your unconscious out. Um, so yes, I absolutely schedule. So I don't, I don't write every day um, first draft words. I write every day as in I might blog or I'm doing research or that type of thing. But when my timed writing sessions are when I have to do my first draft. And so the last time I did this uh, for the last book, it was basically a month. Um, and uh, every day I, I try and do um, between two and 4,000 words. So um, in a month, I'm going to end up with around 80,000 um, words as a first draft novel uh, and then I will go on and, and edit that so essentially the timed writing for me is in the morning and I will come to either my desk or I go outside and dictate and I will dictate until I've done at least 2,000 words sometimes 4,000 words that might take two hours um, I rarely do more than about four hours it's very, very tiring. And this is my theory on why fiction writing is so tiring. So I'm sure you know, you and I read a lot of the same books, but you know uh, all the stuff about willpower, that if you start using up your willpower, by the end of the day, you're screwed and you'll just eat chocolate and whatever. So what, and because you have to make decisions. So um, things like Charles Duhigg, you know, habit, you have to make things habits so that you don't have to make a decision. So you should wear the same clothes and eat the same food. When you're writing fiction, you have to make so many decisions for your characters that it exhausts you because you're using up like your willpower and your choice and you're mm. left with nothing yourself. So this is, this is my pet theory. So that's why writing fiction is so hard because you have to make all these decisions all the time. Like, what do they say? What are they doing? Where are they? You know, all these things. So be really gentle with yourself with that first novel. It takes stamina. This is hard work, actually. Um, it's brilliant work. I love it. But it is hard work to write a novel and it, 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 it takes it out of you. So I would say never try and push it too much. If you're just starting out, try 500 words. It doesn't have to be thousands every day. Um, or maybe I think when I was doing my first novel, I tried for two 2000 a week so i would get up at 5 a.m four times a week and do 500 words so that's perfectly doable for most people got it those are fantastic tips now you've obviously written a bunch of books since that first book and i imagine your your process has been honed over time so what are you know now it sounds like from 14 months to one month well at least one month for the draft um what, how have you sped up that writing process and, and what would be some tips that you've learned from the repetitiveness of, of just doing so many books? Uh, yeah, so basically, so I'm on nine novels, three novellas and shorts, a number of short stories. And yeah, I mean, now I think I'm just much more relaxed. I trust myself more. When you're writing that first novel, the first five novels, <laughs> you... I don't think you trust yourself and you don't trust your voice. You're second guessing. I used to self-censor myself all the time and I don't do that anymore. I just say whatever comes into my head. And that 
that sounds really weird but what also happens is you learn how to structure a book so what comes into your head tends to be in the right structure and you've learned the lessons through editing so it just comes out that way so my first drafts are actually pretty clean at this point my bigger issues are story issues and originality and that type of thing um so the draft is is more about just getting it down and then the work is so that that last book took three months in total from first word to publication so for a full-length novel which you know is pretty fast for most people <laughs> um although a lot of people writing faster than that so um the second thing i would say is writing in a series is much much faster so uh a couple of years ago when I started a second series that first book of the second series also took 14 months because I had to invent new characters a new world a new series structure a new everything so again that first one is gonna always gonna take longer um, and then just again on the marketing side really is that people don't often discover you until you've got a couple of books and many readers because of the binge culture we're in are not interested in a re in a in an author with only one book so in fiction you want to have multiple books in a in a series um, so yeah trusting trusting the voice um, I think also uh, I now do this for a living and this is something that um, you know when you're writing your first book when you have another job you can wait around for some kind of uh, muse to appear when this is your income and your living and you believe more that actually this is a, a working job and I'm a working writer and sure I love it and there's a spiritual side and a muse and all that but actually I, I have a schedule I have a publication schedule and that affects my income so it it is a more of a business mindset um still a creative one like for example someone asked me the other day how do you you know how do you balance writing and marketing and I'm like well because you know that feeling when you have to write and they're like oh yeah and I'm like, well, that's me. That's if you're a writer, you have that inner need to write. That's why I have all these journals behind me. I've had that for a very long time. So um, this kind of drive and this addiction to write another book, to create something new, that's what keeps driving us on. And, and it's super fun. It really is uh, hard work, but but it is fun. <laughs> Love it. Now, I we're running up against time here. So I just want to, I want, I want, this has been fantastic. And what I want to do is just kind of rapid fire. So I, I pulled uh, one of our fiction coaches inside self-publishing school and also uh, pulled some of our fictioneers uh, as we call them. So our, our fiction writers and, and they've got some pressing questions. So I'm just, okay. going we're, we're go. I'm just going to hit you with them. So uh, the first one is uh, how does she, or how do you carry over subplots into future books? Uh, for example, an unresolved plot point that comes up in book three and finishes in a future book. Any tips on how to keep the reader's engagement and memory of that subplot? It's really, really hard unless you plan a hardcore plan your whole series and you keep a series Bible. So that would be one tip, like keep notes on all your characters and what happens and which arm they break and who they slept with, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I say that, but I don't do it myself. Um, I just let it happen. Um, 
Yeah, so I think having a series arc like a, a secret agency or something helps. Um, but yeah, if you can plan multiple books at a time, if you're that type of person, then do it that way. Um, otherwise, it's just a case of, oh, that character was interesting. I think I'll spin them off into a story, um, which I've done um, several times. So um, it, I think these things can just emerge. Again, it's a case of trusting yourself. Love it. Now, here's another question. Says uh, one of the most cumbersome problems I have in writing is re reintroducing reoccurring characters oh, yeah. in different books. Any tips on how to re reintroduce them so that the readers are engaged while not, or so that new readers are engaged while not boring old readers? Yeah, I think it's just brevity. So um, you, you have to do this. And it literally is whenever you introduce the character again, you just have to have one or two lines. Now, as a person who reads a lot of series, as a series reader, you just skip over those lines so it's something that you you have to do because you'll always get new readers but equally don't worry about it because series readers will just ignore it got it cool love that now here's another one do you research to see which category you can be successful to write in or do you write in areas that interest you uh, I, I'm someone who writes in areas that I'm interested in. I don't write to market. And in fact, I write such cross genre books that there actually isn't really a category. Um, so I'm a real fan of what I believe is coming, which is the rise of AI and machine learning in book discoverability, because at the moment we are really put into boxes. But what we really want is for people to discover our books based on the emotional resonance of the story. So um, yeah, you, you can do that and of course there are people who advocate that i think it's much easier with non-fiction but fiction uh i i would struggle to do that i just think life's too short i learned this from david morrell who wrote first blood which became rambo he said you know basically life is too short to spend any time writing something you don't want to write like go get a day job if that's what you want to do <laughs> personally i'm only going to write what i'm interested in um because yeah i would rather have less money and write something i'm proud of than the other way around love it two final questions uh, so this this is funny. It says uh, it says on a way more basic level, I'd love to hear how she comes up with freaking plots. I can create the ingredients, characters, setting, backstory, etc., with relative ease, but coming up with and structuring a plot is what what keeps getting me stymied. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, that's really rough. Um, but I would say first of all, look at the tropes of the genre. As I said, so, um, oh, and the other thing I did, this is what I did with the first novel, take a novel that you loved. Um, and for me, I picked The Doomsday Key by James Rollins and I broke it down. So I made a spreadsheet. And what I did is every single chapter, I wrote the first line, the last line, how many words, what was the point of view, what happened, um, anything else about that, that chapter. And I did it for the whole book. And in doing that, I deconstructed the novel and I learned how to write a thriller in the style of James Rollins. Um, and I've got the stand uh, actually on my shelf and on my Kindle at the moment, the stand by Stephen King, because I want to deconstruct that book as well, even though it's like that big and um, a, a classic. That is a good way to learn how to structure it. So then that gives you an outline. Then of course, this is not about plagiarism or copying, it's about modeling. It's like, okay, so this character um, saved a child in this. Um, how can my character save 
somebody. Um, it's called the Save the Cat Moment by Blake Snyder, um, mm. great screenwriting book. Um, but you can essentially look at modeling. You can maybe watch 10 films and look at what happens. And all the same things happen. People fall in love, people, you know, things blow up, people die, um, you know, children are born. This is humanity. This is life, you know. Um, and then I just, what I do is I base my, my books in 90 five percent truth and then i just um twist something so i just make something um fiction out of what i discover and again truth is stranger than fiction as they say so you can find story and plot in the real world awesome last one uh favorite author tools scrivener <laughs> Scriven Scrivener is it. Like if I had to choose, it would be my Mac. Obviously I need a computer and Scrivener. Um, I could, you know, obviously with our publishing tools like KDP, but I could run a business pretty much with Scrivener because you can export it as well into various formats. Um, it's fantastic. So Scrivener is my, my number one writing and publishing tools. Fantastic. Joanna, we could go on and on and on. And, and every time we, we chat, it's like, it could just go for hours, but thank you for coming. Thank you for dropping bombs for teaching all kinds of great fiction stuff. I know people are really going to enjoy this interview before we leave. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you, your books and what you're up to? Sure. So at JF Penn and it's Francis. So jfpen.com, uh, you can get a free book, Dear the Vikings, and uh, all my fictions there are obviously on all the different stores. Um, or, or for writing, thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N, and on Twitter, at thecreativepen. Awesome, Joanna. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Chanda. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important in helping the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.